Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we welcome Dr. David Torabell, an Associate Professor in Theology and Education at Liverpool Hope University in the UK. Somewhat to his own surprise, he has now edited and contributed to a new book on sport and religion, which, among other things, explores the rituals and physicality of religion and sport. It's a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation, so let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have David with us today. David, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. Um, I was brought up in uh, the northeast of England in, in a working class community. Um, my grandparents uh, were part of the textile industry and the cotton mills, which, which was a tough um, background to come from. Um, but one of the things that, that bonded people together uh, in the working classes in East Lancashire and England was definitely sport. Um, and although they worked long hours during the week, their weekends were um, dedicated either to being involved with or, or, or um, watching sport. In particular, um, Football and cricket were the two um, key sports in Lancashire and, and beyond, not not simply the, the county of Lancashire. So if, if you went to get your hair cut um, on a Friday night, um, the conversation was, would not be about what style you wanted for your hair. It would be who's going to win the football match the following day. It was just embedded into the cultural milieu was was talk about sport so i I grew up in that sort of ambiance um lancashire working class ambiance where sport featured strongly um and then my father he wasn't a professional cricketer but but he he was a good amateur cricketer uh, and i used to go and watch him um and he also played snooker and I, i used to go to um and watch him play uh, games of snooker and he, and he, he was he was good at, at both sports and i also had a twin brother uh who was much more better at sport than me which i've had to admit now publicly um <laughs> for the world to hear um so there's a sort of envy and the only sport i could beat my brother in was was tennis but then he got a job in wimbledon and joined a a tennis club in wimbledon and became quite good and then started beating me so i think he got the job deliberately to to improve his tennis nothing to do with (laughs) with, uh, the salary uh, just because he could get his own back. The the other sport which I enjoyed doing r- right through was um, I'm not I'm not particularly good at it, but I enjoyed playing squash. So I used to play at university and um, beyond. So when I joined Liverpool University, there were squash courts, and um, 
I used to play um, David Finnamore, who who's now professor of um, uh, politics at Queen's Belfast. Uh, and we used to have a good game every week. So that, that was my involvement in in uh, sport and school. I I, I come from um, a Roman Catholic background. I went to a Catholic grammar school in Blackburn, uh, Lancashire, and um, sport was was part of the curriculum, but but it was an element. It didn't dominate the curriculum, but it was an important element of one aspect of the curriculum. And um, I remember doing cross country running on. Uh, Monday mornings, uh, which I enjoyed. I, I, I quite enjoyed starting the week running across the fields of Lancashire uh, in the freezing cold December. Uh, and then there was sort of football, and I, I, I wasn't very good at tennis. I wasn't very good at cricket, so I played tennis in the summer. So that was part of, you know, a sort of Catholic education. I mean, I'm, obviously that's not a distinctive feature of Catholic education, but it was an element um, which combined with a deep sense of Catholic Christian formation. So it sounds like quite a robust background. We appreciate uh, the stories you shared there. And uh, to this American, at least, uh, it sounds quintessentially British, which which is great and exciting. Um <laughs> So you alluded to a little bit about faith in your life, but I wonder if you could elaborate a bit more on, on faith yeah, in your life. Yeah, um, I was baptized into the uh, Christian Catholic tradition. Um, my family were all Catholics. Uh, so I don't really like the expression cradle Catholic, but I mean, it does sort of sum up that you were formed from a very early age into the Christian and Catholic tradition, although now, um, thank goodness, when I, when I was young, uh, it was far less ecumenically sensitive than it is now. And um, for 20 years, I worked in um, a Catholic Anglican university, which is the only ecumenical university in Europe, um, Liverpool Hope University, um, so although I had a deep Catholic formation, I was always aware of uh, sectarian strife um, and Liverpool and Northern Ireland it troubled me uh, deeply, the sectarian violence between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, and thankfully that is getting better, although it's not entirely erased uh, as you know, from Northern Ireland, it, it, it's erased from Liverpool, but not from Northern Ireland entirely. So that was my foray into the Catholic tradition. I was educated by Morist Fathers. It's a Roman Catholic congregation, um, started in the late 19th century. Uh, international, um, founded by a French uh, Roman Catholic priest who died as a martyr, taking the faith to uh, the Solomon Islands. And my school was deeply committed to Morist values, um, uh, the values of the gospel. And for a time I trained, uh, which is linked to the training of the body in the book, I trained um to be a Roman Catholic priest within the Morris tradition, 
uh, and then for um, personal reasons decided that that was not my vocation. So was not ordained, um, but Catholicism has always been, and Christianity, uh, and indeed Christianity's relationship to world faiths has been a deep strand within my identity and formation. Uh, and the book, you know, I think the book reflects this ecumenical and multi-faith dimension. Um, and I started as a, as a high school teacher, um, teaching um, religious education and English literature, because my first degree was a joint degree in English and religion, which, and I'm very interested in the cross-fertilisation between those two disciplines. Um, and for some strange reason, I find myself editing a book <laughs> on mm. uh, religion and sport, which, which if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I would say never, never would that have happened. But uh, the Holy Spirit does work in surprising and fruitful ways sometimes. Um well, I hope I hope the book is is a contribution to an important debate. So, yes, yeah, sport and religion do do come together in my life and in the book um, in some kind of dialogical, fruitful way. Yeah, and we're eager to uh, spend some time talking about um, the book as a whole and also your work in the book. I think um, I think you have a unique perspective to be able to help us out with that. But before we do that, I wonder if. If there's something that you might want to share with our audience that um, that just kind of rounds you out, gives you a chance to, to talk a little bit about uh, you so we can get to know you a little bit better. Um, I mean, maybe answer that by um, taking music as a as a theme. Um As I've got older, particularly in the pandemic, this horrible global pandemic, I, I, I've really reevaluated the importance of music in my life um, uh, for all kinds of different reasons. I've, I've, I, I, I mean, I used to, I, I was in the school orchestra and played the clarinet, and you know, uh, but but now music, um, and th this is the unique thing about me, which is quite amusing. But I'm going to say it and have the courage to say. It. I, I can kind of click on Spotify and have Taylor Swift uh, <laughs> singing sing message in a bottle. Sometimes um, she's better without Ed Sheeran. She's better mm. on her own, mm. um, even though he's British. Um, but so I, I can listen. But then just honestly, th this is true, although it's bizarre. I can sort of switch then to Marley's second Resurrection Symphony mm. movement number one. Mm. And then even more bizarrely switch from one to the other, you know, for the next 40 minutes, which I don't think Taylor Swift or Gustav Muller would like me doing that because <laughs> uh, it might, you know, ruin the coherence of the <laughs> musical creations. But, but I've admitted it now. <laughs> uh, and that is unique. It's bizarre. I don't want anybody to follow it at all. Um, but that, I enjoy doing that, um, but it's breaking all the rules of composition. But um, yeah, Gustav Mollen, Taylor Swift in rapid succession. Um, <laughs> <sort of laughs> well, 
Well, depending on uh, who's listening, I think you either earned uh, a lot of scorn or a lot of credit with, with that. One Thank one you. of those two. Uh, so that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. We're so glad that uh, as Americans that, uh, that we have Taylor Swift to offer to your uh, eclectic music interests. Thank it's wonderful. You. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, She's a national treasure, isn't she? Isn't she? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I really like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. I think we're going to have to recover a little bit from that and spend a little time. So tell us a little bit about um, maybe the the big picture of this book. You're, you're one of the editors, and uh, right. yeah. how, did the, how did this come together, and how did you think about what, what might be a part of it? Right. Um, I, I just wanted to pay tribute to the two – the three editors to the to the other co-editors, um, Clive Palmer um, used to work at Liverpool Hope University, and we've we've um, worked together on religion sport um, initiatives in the past, and there was, we we had a big um, conference on aesthetics in um, religion and sport about ten years ago. Uh, which you know drew quite a lot of people to the conference in, in Liverpool. Uh, th- then Clive left and he went to the University of Central Lancashire. Um, but I, I've always thought that we should collaborate, you know, on another um, religion, sport, um, either conference or book. And I, I, I don't know why, but but I've been reading a lot about uh, the early desert fathers and, and mothers. It's not simply fathers uh, and the ascetical tradition. I'm very interested in the ascetical tradition within um, Christian monasticism in, in, in the early centuries. Uh, and I, what struck me was how bodily you know, and corporeal ascetical practices are. I mean, that's what they're about. It's about pairing back the body in order to enhance the spirit. So I talked to Clive about this, and he, he doesn't come from, and this is not a criticism, he doesn't come from a religious background, which, um, so he has, a, he has a sort of unbiased um, approach to this, but he's very happy to... Um, do what he calls transdisciplinary work. So we decided on this, and then one of my best friends is uh, is a Roman Catholic priest, Father um, Paul Rowan, who um, a little bit later in the project I invited to co-edit. Um, he's expert. He's, he's an expert in in uh, Chesterton. He's he's he's, he's, he's um, He's written a book on Chesterton. He's also very interested in um, Catholicism and embodiment. Um, so he seemed an ideal person to link up with. So the three of us, uh, and then you know, we tried to get some. Um, you know, I don't. I don't want to be conceited about this, but um, I think we have got some. You know, very very good um, writers in the book. Um, that's nothing to do with me. It's just happened, um, and people connected me to to other people. You know, in Canada and America and Norway and Britain and Belgium. So it's international, and it, it's a sort of network. Uh, and we managed to draw together. You know, these these, these um, writers. Um, 
and and again, I'm not. I don't want to push this too much, but I, I think there were some very very good contributions in the original, and they're stimulating. And, and the whole point of of the book is, you know, it's not sort of self contained glorification of you know our sort of interest. It's to try to try and get to, to try and stimulate. Uh, or, as I put it in the book, sport further thinking about the transdisciplinary debate surrounding sport, physical culture, and religion. Um, that, that's 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 my primary aim. Well, the co-editor's primary aim is to stimulate debate. Um, and you know, if it's global, that that's great. Or if it's local, that's that's adequate. But the whole point is to get people from these two disciplines. Uh, well, three: physical culture. To, to start talking to each other about conflicts and convergences. That, I mean, I think that 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 you know, there'll be a whole range of views on this. So, and and some some are diametrically opposed. Um, now, I know I know there's been a lot of talk in sociology uh, of religion about um, you know that sport is sort of has got characteristics of religion. Um, and that, in fact, sport culturally, sociologically, has replaced the in Western culture, particularly replaced the role that religion has at the core of, of culture. We're not, you know, that's fine. I mean, that 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 debate is ongoing, and, and it's been a long one. But what we're interested in is 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 a, a somatic, you know, the connecting thread is a somatic experience the bodily corporeal experience, physicality, which, which of course, for people who don't know a lot about religion, and that, that's not criticism, you know, they, they talk about the spirit, but they, they, they think religion, and it is, it is about the spirit, of course it's about the spirit, and it's about God, and it's about the transcendent, but it's also, um, as the premise of the book says, it's, it's deeply physical, it's deeply corporeal, one prays through the body. It's important, you know. I mean, I'll be going to a Good Friday service at three o'clock today, uh, and the first thing that the priest will do as he walks on to the sanctuary is to prostrate himself, um, lie flat on the sanctuary in front of the altar. That that if that's not bodily, what is it? There are no words. I mean, that is the focus for his veneration of the cross his is the absolute frustration of the body onto the cold sanctuary floor um without any words that that's what i'm interested in i mean my own phd was connected to this because it was about ritual and ritual is um deeply somatic and stylized bodily movement. So I'm interested in that, but also in sport, it's, it's deeply stylized and bodily and has a similar impact uh, when it's done from the heart. So that that's where it, it comes from. Um, and, I, you know, just to say a little bit more, do you want me to say a bit more about the book now? Or? Yeah, that would be great. Um, it, it, it's not simply from a Christian point of view, uh, although m more contributions come from a Christian perspective, um, ecumenical as well, um, we do have a whole chapter from a Jewish 
Jewish uh, perspective by um, Professor Borish, Linda Borish, uh, which is fascinating, um, mm -hmm. on Jewish um, training of the body. Uh, and my own second chapter, I've got, I've got two chapters, uh, my second chapter deliberately, because uh, I, I, I wanted this to be wide-ranging, um, focuses on um, Eastern religions and um, with some reference to the martial arts. I mean, that's very wide-ranging, but mm. what I'm trying to do is to broaden the perspective so the book appeals not simply to a Christian audience. Um, there is one chapter by Professor Van, Van Isaka, um devoted entirely to the, the Catholic Church's document, giving the best of yourself. Um, but as I say, it's ecumenical and interfaith, and that's what, what we're keen, keen to do. And, and also, you know, I, you know I, don't, I don't think this book is for necessarily simply religious people, and I would hope that, um, you know, people who are struggling with issues um about god um like you know agnostics atheists would find something worthwhile to read in the book so that that that's how it came about um do you want me to say a little bit more about the detail of the book now well yeah let me let me ask you a little bit more about that specifically so uh, you, you touched on, you know, the, the main uh, sort of how this book came to be. You touched on the the authorship, and and I agree. Looking at the list of the table of contents, um, you have you have quite a quite a lineup of of authors, really impressive, and and coming from a, a, a wide variety of faith, right? So Linda Borish, you know, is the sort of the expert voice on on all things uh, Jewish and physical culture and sport. Um, so you're appealing to a broad range of people. It's not just for Christians. It's not just for people who would describe themselves as religious, I suppose. But it's about um, in, you know bodily training, incorporeality, uh, excuse me. Um, and as we celebrate, as we think about you know Holy Week, which you alluded to uh, earlier, uh, it seems it seems so obvious how important the role of of the body of the human body is as one brings one's whole self into worship. Yeah. As as Jesus brought him his whole self as as a as fully human into the events of Holy Week, you know there's a there's some really obvious uh, examples right there. But you've you've made a decision to make this sort of a, a broader book, multi faith, um, and and with that comes you know just I suppose uh, um, a greater amount of of content to think about navigating, right? To think about uh, putting together in an order that's helpful for the readership. Um, yeah. I wonder if you can speak to that. I mean, there's such, such a broad range of things to be yeah. discussed yeah. here. Yeah. How do you, how do you focus on some of the, the sub themes that you did? How did you, how did yeah. those come about? Well, I, we didn't start with, you know, we want four themes and, you know, we want three authors for each theme. It was the other way about. We basically put a call out to say, would you be willing to um, contribute to the book? And, and basically we saw what, you know, what, what we got. We then thought it's very wide ranging. And I suppose, I suppose we could have just had, you know, 11, 12 chapters without subdivisions. But for some strange reason, the, uh, they seem to uh, fall into these four categories, which was 
and, and there's no strict division, demarcation between these um, sections, and there is overlap. Um, for example, uh, Tracy Trotton's magnificent um, chapter on virtue ethics um, would apply to personhood as well as virtue, um, and I could give other examples. But they sort of slotted more or less into these four subdivisions, personhood, virtue, asceticism and aesthetics, education, gender and mental health, and, and the latter we wanted to address because it's such a massive a massive issue um, for all of us as well as for sport. So it wasn't, in a way, too difficult to sift them into four categories. But as I say, it's, it's fluid um, and, you know, we don't want to be too too rigid about this, um, and and the, these are the things that emerged from reading the chapters in some detail. Um, that you know, obviously, <laughs> religion and sports is 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 about um, the person. You know, I mean, you know, giving the best of yourself um, is what many sports people talk about, you know, performing to the best of my ability in my chosen sport. Um, and obviously from a religious point of view, uh, being the person that God wants you to be, you know, and both obviously there are huge obstacles, you know, within the sporting world and religious world to how you don't get to be the best you are. Um, so personal is crucial. And underlying this was virtue, you know, because, you know, what 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 was the purpose of sport? You know, I'll, I'll talk about the questions at the end, but um, what, why, why, do, why do people participate in sport? Why do they watch it? Yeah, I mean, obviously two very important questions. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a global phenomenon, isn't it? And um, millions of people participate and watch sport what, what, what why why what what's so attractive about sport I mean why why dare I say in Western culture more attractive than religion it draws more people in the religion um, certainly Western secular culture I don't think in the east I don't think in Africa um, I think Christianity in Africa is is um, vibrant and in the east um, certainly, Religion plays a, a crucial role in identity, but in a more secularized Western, and you tell me more about America, Western culture, um, more people seem to be drawn to the phenomenon of sport rather than the phenomenon of religion. Um, so that that raises interesting questions about why Um what is it that makes me feel good when I participate in, I mean, use the word good advisedly, what's good about being part of a sports team or playing a game of squash, uh, what's good about being part of a religious tradition? So, you know, the, there's lots of interesting questions. And then, you know, you know, they talk about, I don't, I don't know whether they do in America, but they talk about fo football is, is the biggest sport in Britain. Um, well, when I say the biggest, it's, it draws the most 
attention um, and, dare I say, money, um, because that's another issue, um, because it's such a global phenomenon. It's inevitably um, draws in billions of dollars or pounds with all the dangers that that, that brings to, uh, the, you know, to its to its identity. Um, so it's a multi-million pound dollar pound enterprise, isn't it? Um, and um, Premier League football is earn £800,000 a week, a month. I, I just, you know, I forget how many noughts to put on, um, which for some people is obscene uh, in ethical terms, in a, in a way it is. But when we live in a highly capitalist market-driven culture, it's not surprising that uh, these people get ridiculous salaries while we have... Um, People going to food banks um, and live in social deprivation, as, as and I'm sure you can talk about America like that. So th- there's this massive dichotomy between poverty of the working classes and the and some of the working class. You know, you know, one of the ways to get out is the working classes to make good is to become a sportsman or woman and earn a lot of money, but there's all kinds of ethical issues concerned about that. So, so the book is partly about um, virtue, asceticism, aesthetics, the beautiful sport, we talk about beautiful um, football. I'm very interested in theological aesthetics. I'm interested in the work of um, von Balthasar, who I think is probably the best um European intellect of the 20th century, from from my perspective. Um, I think he was the greatest intellect of the 20th century, European, uh, von Balthasar, and I've been deeply influenced by his theology of beauty. But, the you know, the beauty is crucial, um, the beautiful game. Clive is an expert in um, gymnastics, um, so he he's his doctorate was on assessment in gymnastics, you know the, the you know the form of uh, gymnastics, and you know you can talk about all kinds of um, sports which have beauty at the core or indeed in their assessment. So that was it. But then it was linked to, as I say, asceticism, which which is um, you know the early fathers said that the the, the person. Um, of asceticism who leads um, the life of uh, an ascetic um, becomes not just a good person but a beautiful person. Not just a good person but a beautiful person because there is a beauty about his or her renunciation, as it were. Um, So I think there's a beauty about renunciation. There's a beauty about asceticism, which in a, in a very consumerist society is, is very countercultural to say that. But um, it's what von Balthasar says really about the cross, that in the dereliction of the cross is the beauty of the form of Christ. So in, in, in the suffering body, we have the, 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 um, the body of beauty, of glory, and John's Gospel is the, use the word glory, doesn't it, rather than beauty, but I think it's similar. 
become enraptured, says von Balthasar, by the by the beauty of the cross, which is at three o'clock today, which many of us will be enraptured by. And it's an irony, it's a paradox to a secular culture that the disfigured body, or as I was reading says today, the body without beauty or form can actually be in spiritual terms the body of form and beauty. So mm. I think there's a lot in that. And then the final thing is is gender because it's just, just massive uh, cultural phenomenon now. And I'm not making any ethical issues here. I don't want to record any views on my view on, on the whole um, gender fluidity debate. It's complex and it's involved and it arouses a lot of anger. And um, all I'm saying is that, the you know, built in religion and sport, uh, questions of gender and mental health and education and how you educate people um, through physical education is, is um, a very hot topic and, you know, a very important one. And it's not going to go away in postmodern society, is it? Um, so th- those are the four, four sections. Yeah, and I think uh, you know your last one there obviously is it, like you said it's not going to go away. It's something that we will be spending some time on. I wonder when I look at the the broad range of um, chapter submissions for this book and some of the themes that come out of it. And I don't know if you attempted to do this, but I do see a little bit of a conversation between an Eastern perspective and a Western perspective, which mm-hmm. I find fascinating as we try to bring that to sport. Even you talk about other Eastern religions, but also Eastern versions of Christianity. Uh, and even a Jewish perspective can be more categorized in the Eastern perspective. I wonder, could you just take a minute if we try to drill down on one area and just just talk a little bit about how maybe an Eastern or Western pers- um, perspective might change not only yeah. the view of sport, but the questions you might ask? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really, really important question. Um, This is in broad terms, um, Brian. So um, I'm not, I'm not uh, an authority um, on Eastern religions, but in general terms. I think there is there's a difference between a sort of Western and I do talk about talk about this in in the chapter um, my second chapter on um, the metaphysical framework of transformational combat in Eastern religions and martial arts because because of the influence I put it bluntly because of the influence of Descartes and Cartesian dualism in the West and I know I know that's been absolutely slammed and Descartes is is the bad guy now I, I know I know that you know right. and um, he is but I don't think it's <laughs> quite as bad as some people make make out definitely um and this is part of the secularization debate the holistic integration of body mind and spirit this is one thing I'm very interested in as has definitely been ruptured by a post Cartesian Enlightenment philosophy, which, which says that the body's got nothing to teach us. Now, I, and I, you know, we can take Neoplatonism as well. You know, that, that doesn't give 
too much attention <laughs> to the body. Um, so Plato and Descartes could be the bad guys, but they're not really. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being, you know, you know what I mean. I'm just being sort of broad sweep. Eastern, you know, I mean, I'm, I used to teach Buddhism for a long, long time, and which I love teaching Buddhism um, and Hinduism. Um, they, 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 you know, and, and obviously martial arts. They, they don't have this dichotomy between the body and, and the mind. It's, it's not there. You know, the, the, you can't. It's much more integrated understanding of personhood. That, what, now, you know, in my short chapter, I'm trying to draw out some of the implications of that, which is your question. The East, I, I think, can teach the West, Western religion. This, again, is so broad, but might be slammed for this, probably will, um, that sport is a spiritual endeavour. That's what, that's what I'm saying. That's what we're trying to say in the book. I mean, even Clive, who, who doesn't have a confessional belief, I think would go along with that. Paul definitely would as a priest. That it's a spiritual endeavour. It's a spiritual quest. Um, because to perform the body is, is to perform you know, the whole person, as you, as you said in the introduction, the whole person. And Eastern religions, I mean, the Buddha, the Buddha, um, look at the Buddha's life. I mean, I, I mentioned this in my chapter. Um, his two strict ascetical practices, which he hoped would lead to enlightenment, nearly killed him. He needed, you know, you've read obviously about Buddha's life, um, and there are images of the emaciated ascetic body. Uh, again, it's it's again links to another chapter in the book about overtraining. If you overtrain, you can destroy the body, not enhance it. So the Buddha literally nearly died in order to attain the goal he wanted. I mean, is, is, that, is that a warning to some Olympic coaches? That sounds a bit preachy, but you take my point. Uh, and I refer to two, two um, athletes who were withdrawn for mental health reasons because they were trained to a, you know, to a strenuous degree by the coaches. So the point I'm making here about the Buddha is he pulls back and he finds a middle way, which is why I use the word balance. He finds a middle path. The middle path is the way to enlightenment. Now, I, I use that notion of balance. I, I interviewed a Benedictine nun who's a friend of mine who lives a contemplative life in a monastery in Yorkshire. And I said, what's the essence of your life? And I do find it a life of beauty. And she said, it's balance. I said, well, it's, it doesn't seem very balanced because my friends think, mm. oh, my God, they're not married for a start. They, they're obedient to their abbess. They, they don't have any money. They don't have any clothes. They don't go to Ibiza for six weeks like the rest of us. Joke, joke, joke. You see my point? Mm -hmm. uh, how is that balanced? It's, 
of course it's balanced. It's it's not balanced from Western consumers' point of view. From their point of view, it's totally balanced between the integration of the body, soul, and spirit. It's it's a middle way. Why can they live for fifty years like that in the remote um, countryside of North Yorkshire? Um, they do have mobile phones, by the way, and they do read the paper. <laughs> and they have a lot to say about Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, which I, but I won't tell you what they said about them. <laughs> you, you might not like to hear it, but um, they're not. It's not too favourable either. But so what I'm saying is, do, do you, I'm not trying to, you know, say I'm right. I'm just trying to say a middle path between two extremes, and the eastern seems to me the eastern has that balance between body answering your question brian body mind and spirit body mind and spirit is integrated so when we do mindfulness and mindful now i don't know in america but certainly in britain mind we're we're in the middle and i'm not against this i'm not against it. secular mindfulness is massive in schools it's secular it's a secular mindfulness so you you know you stress out so you, you do a bit of mindfulness at lunchtime when you've had your tuna sandwiches you know but the thing is it's, it's a way to, 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 to rebalance the body because it's stressed. So what I'm trying to say here is sport in the East has always had a more integrated middle path to personhood between body, mind and spirit. And I don't see that in Western culture. I think, you know, um, often Western uh, sports people talk about I mean, for example, sports psychology is massive at Liverpool Hope University. Lots of people do degrees in it. I'm not talking about sports psychology. I'm talking about what in traditional Western language was the soul, right? The, 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 the word soul is not psychology. It's not a person's psychology. Or the, I, I, I mean, we can have a debate here. I'd love to talk more to, to you and everybody. The word soul is another word for heart. The heart is the, the deepest core of one's being. Um, for example, why Iago was able to um, to make Othello believe that his wife was unfaithful is because Iago knew, knew how to get to the heart of Othello. I've just been teaching Othello to sixth formers. He got to the soul, and actually Shakespeare uses the word soul. He got, he got, the fellow says, why have you, you know, his best mate, in colloquial language, why have you ensnared my body and soul? He can't understand why his best friend has betrayed him. And then we know he kills his wife, who he loves, but why have you ensnared my body and soul? So, you know, pre-enlightenment body and soul went together that's what that's what that, that do you see if I'm not expressing this very well eastern religions Brian's question somehow has I think managed to hold on to that certainly in Britain I never hear the word soul so if somebody's been interviewed, a sports person has been interviewed, they might say, well, you know, how's your training going and how's your mental health? But it's not talking about spirit. The, the questions are not formed around soul or spirit as we understand those in the religious tradition. 
So what I'm trying to do in the book, what Clive and Paul, we're trying to set up, why do we ignore soul spirit language in um, sport if, if you know, well, they said because I don't believe it anymore. The answer is that I just don't believe there's a soul. I don't believe. But that's a big debate, isn't it? You know, there's a core of your being that the, um, the heart you know, the heart, um, everybody believes in the heart, which is the deepest, you know, core of our being. So that, that I don't know whether that's answer your question, but I think Eastern religions, be, you know, have been able to 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 hold on. Uh, to, I mean, I ju- just, to, just to finish, um, about the Eastern religions, um, because I, I think I think you know your question is really important. Um, I'm just trying to look for what I say about Eastern religions. I'm not be able to find it. Well, while you look for that, David, let me yeah yeah let me jump in and just say um, first you've answered that question in a fascinating way. I think exactly um, books like yours try to remind us or bring us back to this this sense of embodiment that uh, yeah. seems to be lost uh, or lost uh, generation by generation in terms of this integration of mind, body, spirit, kind of summed up in the word heart, um, which refers not only to, I mean, it refers also to like this this organ, this physical organ beating in your chest and also the yeah. central part of who you are. And and yeah. I think that that word sort of brings us uh, in, into the place we want to be. Um, and and I think, you know, there is a great deal of um, overlap um, in connection that we can get as Westerners from Eastern perspectives on the person. And I think that that um, that helps us. And it sounds like this book, even though we haven't had a chance to read many read any of it yet, um, uh, keeps getting at that question. And, and uh, that'll be fascinating and it will really contribute. I'll let you. Um, finish up here, uh, close out yeah. your thought, um, yeah. and then we'll just let people get the book and read it. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, j- the only thing, I just want to mention that because it's linked to what you just really said. It was interesting. I, you know, we, I talk about combat, um, you know, another word, you know, the, the you know, obviously uh, you can use the bat, the word battle, combat, competition. There are two, there are two, two sides warring it out you know in language you know there are two sides and one wants to win i mean ukraine russia justice mm. you know um just almost unspeakable uh but at the end of the day they're in combat and one is going to win um and i hope it's ukraine obviously but what I talk about as well, and then it goes back to your question, your really interesting question about Eastern religions um, and the martial arts, definitely, is 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 the combat, is the internal combat, you know, the the, mm. um, the spiritual warfare. Um, I mean, I've never, honestly, I'll be absolutely never, and this is the first time in my life I've understood really what jesus means about the hmm. the battle between good and evil 
through through the Russian and Ukraine crisis. I mean, I mean, I should have learned that before, but I didn't. I avoided it. But now I'm absolutely convinced that we need, we need to rediscover a theology of the devil for post-modernity. Um, hmm. there's, there's no question about that. Um, you know, our language has not been sufficient. And, and I think in the Protestant tradition, we can, the Catholic tradition can learn from that um, recovery for, for a postmodern culture. Um, and, and, and it's an internal battle, isn't it, between the forces of sin and the forces of goodness. So, and I think Eastern religion, you know, it, it's always about a fight against the, the, the self that is always being corrupted. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just say, to, you know, sport is about a battle, but why, let, let's talk, you know, I mean, how many sportsmen and women have internal battles? You know, they, you know I'm not a sports psychologist. They must, they must have endless, you know, battles, um, particularly when they become famous and they earn lots of money. So I'm, I'm very interested in that internal battle um, that's going on as well as, as, well as the, the internal one, external one, you know. And sport and religion, I think, again, you know, you, can set up a, you could set up a whole conference, couldn't you, on combat, combat, combat in religion and sport, you know. that. So I touch on that in my chapter, combat in religion and sport. And, and I can, the whole point is, you know, it's like receptive ecumenism, both sides have got to be, I think you don't mind me saying, Chan, and I mean, obviously you are, but not everybody I meet is, they've got to be receptively open to these ideas. They've got to be, you know, there's a big movement in England called receptive ecumenism. So Catholics learn from Protestants, Protestants learn from Catholics. If if you're not, recept you're not receptive, there's no dialogue, is there? You know, it's, if, if you, this is what Protestants believe, this is what Catholics believe. Well, we know what they believe. What we're interested in now is how can we, can we find a way forward through a receptive op openness to reevaluate our own tradition. And that's the same, I think, if you don't mind me saying, in religion and sport. So there's no point in a stack of sports people turning up to the, a conference and going, um, <laughs> you know, I've just come to listen to the, what, the sports people have to say, mm. you know, it, it's just crazy. It has to be dialogical. That, that, this is what I'm interested in, and I'm very interested in, if I don't mind me saying, linking to Calvin and Hope College about this. And, and I know mm. our vice chancellor is our vice chancellor is very interested in this receptive because he's the head of an ecumenical university. But but this, if you switch it across, do you see what I mean? This, you know, when we have to be. When I say we, I mean religious people have to be open to what are the insights from sport, if you, if you see what I mean, that can teach us a lot. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you've opened up a lot there as we think about um, that. I like that word receptivity and how yeah. that applies really to, I mean, this larger conversation we've been having, but also particularly in the spaces where you are, in the sports spaces where you are for sure. And going into this Easter weekend, uh, we do have um, really that very visible experience, that very visible uh, war, combat, um, 
yeah. and and it represents really an inner one, right? It represents a yeah, and it meets and it meets at the cross, and that's just a very yeah. um yeah. Uh, it's a sobering uh, and uplifting thing at at the same yeah. time. And and David, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate you taking some time, Thank spending you. some time with Thank us. You. We really appreciate you editing and co-editing this book. Um, we're eager to get at it and and to, to dig into it. So uh, we're really excited to do that. And we just invite you too to the uh, the Global Congress, uh, which will be in Cambridge in August. Um, oh, I've seen that. Will you be yeah. there? So yes. Absolutely, Chad and I will both be there. So uh, okay, right. We, we are uh, we are officially inviting you. We would love to have you there. Maybe we'll make a stop in Liverpool on our way over. And uh, <laughs> if you can't make it, uh, so right. we we would love to have you come. This is this will be the third global congress on sports oh. and Christianity. The first one oh. happened in York, which is very nearby, and then the oh. second one happened here on the campus of Calvin University. And the oh. third one now will be in Cambridge. So we're pretty excited about that. So we'd just, love to, yeah, jump yeah, in. Just, just one last question. Do, do, uh, um, I don't know where they will, but are you asking for papers? Yes, in fact, we are. And the deadline has just recently been extended. And um, Chad or I can send you a link to that. And it would be Could wonderful. You? I would love to have you participate in that. So uh, okay. It would be great. I'll, if you I'll do could... my best. I'll look at the dates. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank wonderful. You. Yeah, Cambridge is London. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we can't wait. Yeah. So yeah. thanks so much, and uh, thank you. we'll just that's great. Uh, we'll, yeah. We won't say goodbye. We'll just say so long for now, uh, and happy okay. Easter. Thank and thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thank wonderful. You. Yeah, and happy Easter, Chad and Brian. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.